0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's great to be in worship with you today. I can't believe it's already September. Isn't it wonderful that we get to look forward to, to um, cooler weather and college football's already on TV. I hope your team won last night. Did your team win? Yes. All right. All right. Good. I grew up in the church, and I remember when I was a young boy, they used to sing this song in, 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 in Sunday school. It went like this. Come fill my cup, fill my cup, let it overflow. Come fill my cup, fill my cup, let it overflow. Have y'all heard this song? Come fill my cup, fill my cup, let it overflow. Let it overflow with love. Y'all never heard that song? Nope? Okay, great. Well, y'all don't remember that song because you never heard it before. I don't remember anything else about that song. I don't know if it had more verses, but I do remember what our Sunday school teacher told us as we were seeing it one Sunday morning. She said, this is how love works. This is how love works. She said, um, she took a coffee mug and she began to pour water into that mug. And she said, God fills us up. And then she just kept pouring water into that cup until it reached the top. And then when it formed a meniscus, you know what that is, right? Isn't that a great word? I love meniscus. I've been trying to work that into a sermon for three years. <laughs> when it formed a meniscus, she said, Does God stop there? Is he worried that he might pour too much? That he might waste some of it? Is he worried that he might make a mess with his love? And then she looked at all of us and looked around at us and we didn't know what to say. And so then she poured more water into that mug and it began to spill all over the side of the cup and run onto the table. And then some of it even spilled onto the floor. We were very worried. We were making a huge mess. But she said, this is how God loves you. He fills you up and he keeps filling you up until you can't contain it anymore. And God wants each one of us to let his love overflow out of us to the world around us. That's how God loves you. That image has stuck with me through the years, and sometimes I feel like I am overflowing in God's love. Like when Ashley said, yes, whoo you know? When I held my first child in my arms for the first time. But sometimes I don't feel like I'm overflowing at all. Sometimes I feel like I'm empty. Maybe sometimes you feel the same. Sometimes we feel so full of God's love that it's overflowing, and sometimes we don't feel that way at all. Today, I want to talk to you about the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story many of you probably know by heart, and because of that, you might feel like you already know everything about it that there is to know. But if I can, I'd like to invite you to lean in just a little, to think deeply with me about what's happening in this parable. Maybe God can use it today in our lives. I'd like you to pray with me. Father, we do want to hear from you. So we ask you to speak to us through your word this morning. Use this time to challenge us, to show us areas of our lives that we have not given to you. We ask you to speak to us, to speak to our hearts and to fill us. Make us people who overflow with your love so you can build your kingdom in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at this parable together. This is on page five of your bulletin. This is Luke 10, starting at verse 25. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Now as we encounter this parable, it's important that we understand and keep in mind what this whole interchange is about. This whole section is about inheriting or gaining or living eternal life. That's what the section is about. He started off by saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And so as we read the rest of this interchange between Jesus and this lawyer, that's what we need to remember, that this is what it means to inherit eternal life. That's what we're talking about. It's eternal life that Jesus is describing. And let me also say that lots of people assume that eternal life is what happens after our earthly life is over. That seems to be what this lawyer assumed. And that's partly true. Certainly there is eternal life to look forward to. But that's not how Jesus describes eternal life. As we will see this morning, living in eternal life starts here. Living in eternal life starts now. All right, back to the text. Notice that Jesus did not answer the question, but puts the question back on the lawyer. The lawyer said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what do you, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? You're a lawyer. You tell me. And, um, and so the lawyer said, well, here's, the, here's my answer, my best answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right. Do that, and you will live. You'll remember that on another occasion, Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said the same thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says something remarkable. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything else hangs on doing these two things. Loving God with everything you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on that. Which means that if you don't have those right, then it doesn't matter how well you follow any of the other laws. That's, it, it all hangs on those. If you have those right, then the rest of the law if you don't have those, right, then the rest of the law falls away because the rest of the law and the prophets hangs on these two things, loving God with all you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's how important these two things are. Paul in his letter to the Galatians says this. This is, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, and only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up in that single commandment. You shall love your your neighbor as yourself. The whole law. James calls this the royal law. He says, you do well if you fulfill the royal law. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving your neighbor are of the highest importance in the Christian life. There's nothing more important. And in fact, in, in this passage about the Good Samaritan, we see that loving God and love your neighbor is what eternal life actually is. Okay, let's look back at the text. The lawyer wants to know how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, what do you read in Scripture? And the lawyer says, love God and love your neighbor. You've answered this correctly. Do this and you will live. And now we're at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, But who is my neighbor? And again, Jesus doesn't answer his question. He didn't answer the first question, really. And he's not answering this one. Instead, he tells a story. And this is a brilliant moment. Because in telling the story, he reveals to the lawyer and to us that the question, who is my neighbor? That isn't the right question at all. Because what the man really wanted to know was this. Who do I have to love? And who can I hate? If, God, if loving God and loving my neighbor is what eternal life is, then who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And who can I get away with not loving in this world? If I can know who my neighbors are, then I'll also know who my neighbors aren't. And so Jesus tells him a story. And in the story, there's a man who's beaten up and left for dead. And then Jesus tells him that a priest comes up. And this lawyer would almost, would certainly have considered a priest His neighbor. A person God would want him to love. But the priest ignores the man who was robbed and beaten and passes by on the other side. And again, another person comes by, this time a Levite. He's almost a priest. He, he also serves God in the temple. He's also very much a person that the lawyer would consider his own neighbor. But he too ignores the man and passes by on the other side. And so, so far... The ones that this man would have absolutely considered his neighbor have behaved terribly in the story that Jesus is telling. They have failed to love God. They have failed to love their neighbors as themselves. And then Jesus tells him that another man came by and this time it was a Samaritan. And you already know this, but the Samaritans were nobody's neighbors. The Jews hated them. They didn't like them at all. They didn't consider them neighbors. They were different. They had different customs, different beliefs. And so, at this time, we, we could, I could ask you to think of a group of people in your life that you don't understand. Or maybe that you just kinda hate, you know? Maybe it's Republicans and you just hate them. Or maybe it's Democrats. Maybe it's people who put those coexist stickers on the back of their cars. Or maybe it's the ones that put NRA and uh, guns rights on the back of their cars. Maybe it's Alabama fans. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's Auburn fans, more likely. Maybe it's rich people. Maybe it's poor people. Maybe it's Middle East terrorists. You know, or you put, or is there a category of people in your heart that you don't consider your neighbor, that maybe it's okay for you not to love them? Whoever it is for you, when Jesus is talking about a Samaritan, he's saying that th- it was that kind of person. It was that kind of person. That kind of person who came near and who had been to that man who had been left for dead. And when he saw him, it was that kind of person who was moved with compassion. And look what that kind of person did. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. This is verse 34. This means that, I mean, you know that they didn't carry first aid kits around with them back then, right? And so to bandage his wounds, he likely had to tear his own clothing to make bandages for him. It says that he um, anointed, poured oil and wine on his wounds. That, those were his provisions for his journey. He would have cooked with that oil. He would have used the wine for his own refreshment. Yet it was he poured them on this man. And then he put, a, put him on his own animal. So now this Samaritan man is walking where before he had likely been riding. And then he brought him to an inn. And he paid the innkeeper to take care of him. And actually, he actually stopped his journey to go with that Samaritan. I mean to go with that man that had been robbed. And stayed there the whole night with him. So wherever this Samaritan was going, he didn't make it that night. He stopped and cared for this man. The next day, he took two denarii out and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when you come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. He gave enough money to the innkeeper for the guy to stay for two weeks. Everything the Samaritan did for this man was costly. It cost him something to be a neighbor. It cost him something to show him kindness. He tore his clothes to bandage him. He used his oil and wine to treat the wounds. He gave up his own mode of transportation so he could help this man. He paid for two weeks at the end. And so Jesus asked the lawyer in verse 36, "Now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers?" And the man said, "The one who showed him mercy." And Jesus said to him, "Go and do likewise." The lawyer was asking, "Who is my neighbor?" He was asking Jesus, what does the law re- who does the law require me to love? And Jesus tells him with, his, with this parable that that's not even close to the right question. We shouldn't be asking, who is my neighbor? We shouldn't ask, who does the law require me to love? That's not the right question. Instead, the question we should ask is, what does it look like for me to be a neighbor? And the story Jesus told showed that being a neighbor means showing mercy even to perfect strangers and sacrificing our own resources to do it. That's what this parable shows us. That's what it means to be a neighbor to someone. And consequently, that's what it means to live an eternal kind of life. It's about loving God and loving our neighbors. It's about being a neighbor to everyone, especially to those who have fallen into the hands of robbers and bandits and who have been left for dead by the side of the world. You know what Jesus said about loving God and loving our neighbor? He said it fulfills the whole law, that the whole law hangs on doing that. And if we get this right, we've got it all. A few weeks ago, we talked about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter five. He said, be imitators of God. Do you remember that? Imitate God. You wanna know what that looks like? Right after he said, imitate God, Paul also said, so live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. To imitate God, we have to live in love. Love has to be our way of life. One pastor preaching on this text said, to live in love means that if you're breathing, it's time to do it. He said, if you're thinking, it's time to do it. It's time to love. He said, check your pulse. If you've got a pulse, then it's the time to do it. It doesn't matter who you're facing. It doesn't matter what they might have done to you. It doesn't matter what they've said to you or who they are, or even if they are threatening your life. If you are alive, then it's the time To love. Live in love. That's what it means to imitate God, to live in love. That's what it means to be a neighbor. It's living in love, letting love overflow out of you and out into the world to everyone in need. I'm gonna wrap this sermon up. But before I close, I just wanna say this. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people were migrants and they were refugees. Isn't that what most of the Old Testament story is about? God's people moving from one place to another, seeking safety, seeking a home. I mean, in our reading from Isaiah today, God is telling his people who are exiled in Babylon, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the lily. Say to those who are of fearful heart, be strong, do not afraid. Behold your God. He will come and save you. God's people were a refugee people. And Jesus, when he was a boy, his parents had to take him and flee an evil government at war with its own people, a king and a dictator who had ordered all the young boys killed. And so they took him and the rest of the family and all their possessions, and they fled to Egypt seeking safety, a place to call home. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, was a refugee. And I think about all the refugees trying to find a home, a a safe place that are traveling right now, people probably in ships on, on the Mediterranean Sea as we speak, trying to find a home in e- Egypt. I mean, in Europe. They're fleeing a terrible situation in Syria and all over the Middle East. How many of you saw that picture of Island, that boy who had ro- washed ashore in Turkey, right? It was a three-year-old little boy. Such a heartbreaking picture. His mother and his older brother, they died. They drowned in the, in the sea as well. Only Island's dad survived. And just like God's people, they are refugees seeing a better life. His family had applied for asylum in Canada to join uh, Island's aunt who lives there. But they were denied. Canada said they couldn't come. And now they're dead. And it's so heartbreaking. And the thing is, I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do. But it seems like to me that if we're meant to be a neighbor to those who, are, who have been robbed and left for dead by the side of the road in this world, then shouldn't we be doing more than clicking like on Facebook? I mean, I saw a cartoon that somebody had drawn, and it was of Island laying lifeless on that beach, and there was this dump truck that had backed up to him, and it was just unloading a whole bunch of thumb-up likes um, on top of him, all around him. Because that was our response. That was how we responded. That's how the world responded. We All of us clicked like. And is that all we can do? And so I end this sermon, not with an answer, but with a question. Will we allow God so to fill us with his love that we overflow with his love in this world? Will we as individuals and as a church be a neighbor to those who have been robbed and who have been left for dead? Jesus says that loving God and loving our neighbor is what eternal life is all about. And he also said that eternal life starts now. His invitation to us is to start living it now.